The Bible says this in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Will you pray with me? Lord, again, we pause, we bow, and we praise you as our mighty fortress, as the Lord of hosts, as the God of gods, as the King of kings. And here we are outside praising your name, and we ask you to open our eyes to see just how great you are. And Lord, let our souls be refreshed this day. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right. You know, the Psalms like to show us pictures of God, and they show us many different pictures, right? If you read the Psalms, what are, what are some of the ways you're going to see God? You tell me. You talk to me. We're, we're outside. We can do this. You'll see God as what? Okay, most high, for sure. Yeah, there's certainly Lamb of God language in the Bible. In the Psalms, what else will we see? What? Shepherd, absolutely. Psalm 23, Lord's our shepherd. Creator, right? Stronghold, we just saw that, didn't we? A great king. Our sustainer. Good, good. The, the Psalm, Psalm 139 shows God is all-knowing and all-present, right? Is there anything God doesn't see? Not in the Psalms, where he sees everything. He knows what we are, he knows where we are, he knows who we are. He's right there. And what's verse 1 of this psalm tell us God is? He's our refuge and strength. God is our delight. God keeps us safe. He restores our souls. So today, let's do this. This psalm's going to show us God as that mighty refuge, that mighty protector, that great strength. So let's look at that this morning. See God as our source of safety and our security. And, and, and God's going to show us that in our psalm. And I'm going to tell you basically three parts of the psalm between the silas. Let's work through them together, work through the psalm, and let's find our souls refreshed today as we trust in God as our great stronghold. So if you are the kind of person who even on a camp out takes notes, which of you is that kind of person, by the way? Kelly? Kelly? Amen. Good job, Kelly. I'm with you first point I'm going to tell you is that we need to truly trust in God as our refuge and strength. Truly trust in God as your refuge and strength. 
Listen again to verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. So here we go. The psalm opens with a very confident statement. God is our refuge and our strength. He is our safe place to hide. He's where we run for shelter. And He's the one who keeps us going. He's the one who empowers us to live. And this is our God. Now, notice, by the way, in that verse, whose stronghold is God in verse 1? Ours. Notice the word our there. If you're an underliner, you can underline that. If you believe God is a refuge, but you don't know God is your refuge, you have no reason for confidence. If you see God as strong, but not as your strength, you have no strength. God is who He is, with or without us, but we are nothing apart from Him. In God, we have refuge. In God, we have strength. And the psalmist recognizes that God is present. He is ever-present, especially in times of trouble. Back in Psalm 139, which Russ remembered so well already, we see God's universal presence. Verses 7 to, to 10 of Psalm 139 say this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is always present because He's everywhere. Whether you fly to heaven, whether you descend to hell, whether you head east, west, north, or south, whether you can run at light speed or hide on a remote ocean island, God is there. And that's as true of your geographical location as it is of your life circumstances. Are you going through good times right now? God's present. Are you healthy? God's there. Are you struggling financially? God's with you. Is your health failing? God is still present with you. If you know God, you can know that He's with you in all of your troubles. And He's with you in all of your joys. So do you know God? Do you believe that His presence is with you right here, right now? Do you truly trust Him as your refuge and strength? If so, then you trust Him in all circumstances. Look at the psalmist's words in verses 2 and 3. This is big. Therefore, always notice a therefore, therefore we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, by the way, it opens with a therefore. How many of you know what to do when you see the word therefore in the Bible? Ask what it's there for, right? That's a simple way, but man, if you forget that, you won't understand your Bible. Because what? Because God is our refuge and strength, therefore... Because He is ever-present, what? We will not fear. We will not fear if the earth shakes. You ever been in an earthquake, by the way? 
can be scary. We will not fear if the mountains tremble. Would you like it if it started trembling up here right now? Not so much. Even if the mountains fall into the sea, we will not be afraid, is what the psalmist says. We will not fear if the oceans roar. We will not fear any disaster. Why not? Because God is with us. He is our refuge. He is our strength. His presence gives us confidence. Under His wings we find shelter. In His right hand we have sustaining strength. And that last word in verse 3, Selah. You know what it means? The great thing is you have no idea what it means because nobody knows for sure. Close, right? Now, it tells us for sure that the section we're in is at an end. And what are psalms? They're songs, right? Could be the end of a verse. I tell you, what I like to think it is, I like to think of it as the note for a guitar solo. <laughs> I mean, it, it's probably a musical interlude. It's probably a pause. You stop and mark what you've heard and think about it. And ask yourself, is this true of me? And for most of you, you're going to say yes, right? I trust in God as my refuge. I trust in God as my strength. But is it really true of you? The point wasn't just trust Him. It was truly trust Him. Kelly wrote it down, I bet. What is it that reveals whether you're trusting God is true? It's when you pass through the fire or when you walk through the valley or when the rains come or when winter hits or whatever you want to call it. The truth of your trust is revealed by your response in difficult circumstances. Think about church members that we have, dear friends, who are suffering in hospitals and fear and uncertainty. And don't you see the truth of their faith by the way they can trust in God even in the pain? Listen to John Calvin. He writes about this. He says, it is an easy matter, it is an easy matter to manifest the appearance of great confidence so long as we're not placed in imminent danger. But if, in the midst of a general crash of the whole world, our minds continue undisturbed and free of trouble, this is an evident proof that we uh, attribute to the power of God the honor which belongs to Him. If you can stay strong when the world's crashing, that's when we know you trust God. If I ask you, would you die for your faith? Many of you would say yes to me. If someone held a gun to your head and said to you, deny Jesus, many of you say to me that you'd take the bullet. But here's the question, and let's get personal for a minute. Does your life reveal that to be true of you? What about when your family members get sick? Do you trust God then? What about when you lose a job? Can you still trust God then? How about when you get a frightening test result from the doctor or when your car makes a noise that you can't identify or when a bill comes due and you know you can't pay it or when your teenager hasn't come home yet and it's 1 a.m. or when a traffic jam is going to make you miss a meeting you think is important 
does your trust in God show in those moments? Can you relax in those circumstances? Can you, can you rest in God as your refuge and strength? And I'm not asking, should you be able to, but can you? Because that's what shows the truth of your actual trust in Him. The psalmist said he would trust God even if the earth fell apart and the mountains fell down and the seas came up. And folks, that is real trust. It's revealed by the test of fire. And if you have a true trust in God as your refuge and as your strength, if that's really where you are, if you know, man, I trust God no matter what, then thank God. Thank Him for leading you there because there's no way you got there on your own. And if your trust is weak, if when things get difficult, you freak out, stress out, get all messed up in your head, if your trust is weak, seek Him. Read about His power in the Bible. Talk to believers who are strong about His mighty provision. Look back on your life and just take account of how God has taken, how He's, how he's taken care of you in the past. Right? Had we sung Come Thou Fount, right? We could have sung that. Do you guys do the Here I Raise Mine Ebenezer verse? What is that? It's a, it's a milestone. It's a memory stone. Here I raise a stone that says, I got here by your help. The hymnal I learned that song from, and I don't think it's the same as you guys learned it. The verse would read, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I am come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Look back and see where God has provided for you when you couldn't provide for yourself. And watch that build your trust in Him. And definitely pray. Pray that God will give you the kind of trust in Him that you need to have. Pray that God will be your refuge and your strength. Pray that God will strengthen your heart and change your heart. Because y'all... A lack of trust in God is a heart problem. Don't you dare, and we're tempted to do this, don't you dare shrug it off as, well, I'm just a warrior. Don't grin at that. And I may be picking on some of you. I don't mean to pick on you. But if your trust is weak, pray that God help you repent. It's a deep spiritual problem. And you need the power of God to change it. So seek God and begin to truly trust in God as your refuge and strength. And then second, trust in God's faithfulness to his own name and trust in his faithfulness to his covenant people. Trust in God's faithfulness to his own name and his covenant people. Four through seven. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So verse 6 says, The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. That is a picture of God routing an enemy army that was preparing to attack his city. Maybe the enemies roar like the raging sea. Maybe the enemies come up against the city. But God is there. 
God speaks, the enemies crumble. God speaks, the world melts away. If God has the power to speak and create the universe out of nothing, He certainly can speak and change the very substance of the world that He did create. But why does God do it? Why does God protect this city whose dreams make glad the people of God? Why does God do that? Why does God protect His city? Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is what? He's with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The first line talks about God being mighty. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord over the heavenly army. If you think about the Bible talking about the heavenly hosts, it's talking about one of two things, isn't it? It's either talking about the stars that y'all went out and looked at last night. But how many of those were there? How many did you see? A lot. And you see, when the Bible uses Lord of Hosts language, Lord Sabaoth and a mighty fortress is our God, that's the same phrase, by the way. When the Bible uses that language, it's talking about the God who leads the stars out like an army marching on parade. God's got armies bigger than that. That's a pretty strong God, right? No puny earthly army could ever stand against this God. But the second line really grabs my attention. It calls him the God of whom? God of Jacob, who's with us. Now, if I call God the God of Jacob, what does it make you think of? It should bring to your mind God's covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. Because you see, God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to send somebody to rescue his people. And God promised Abraham that he would carry that promise to Abraham's son Isaac. And he promised Isaac that he would carry that promise to Isaac's son Jacob. God established a unique relationship with the nation of Israel because remember, Israel is the name that God gave Jacob later in Jacob's life. So when, God, when we call God the God of Jacob, we're calling him God, a faithful, covenant-keeping, promise-making, promise-keeping God. He will bless those with whom he has a covenant relationship. He will protect the city in which he dwells. The people in the city, surrounded by armies, have hope. They have hope because God is faithful to protect His own name and His covenant people. Now you might say, but didn't God let Jerusalem get overrun by the Babylonians? Yes, He did. When the people who were living in Jerusalem were no longer people who lived according to the Word of God, when they traded their faith for idolatry, when their trust was in the temple, Instead of in the God in whose honor the temple was built, God's presence departed from Jerusalem. See Ezekiel 8 through 10. When God's name was no longer at stake in the preservation of the city, when the people were clearly not those who trusted in the Lord, armies came in and raised the city. And God promised He would do that in Deuteronomy 28. Part of the covenant with Israel was a, was a promise that if they disobeyed, they would fall at the hands of their enemies. But what's the lesson for us? It really depends whether you're in covenant relationship with God or not. 
Who's in covenant with God? Well, it's not about the nation you're from. Paul said that in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, where he says, It's not as though the word of God failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because there is offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. How do we become the children of promise? Paul says in the next chapter, in Romans 10, 8 through 13, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, having a covenant relationship with God is not about your nationality. It's not about having faith in, it's about having faith in Jesus Christ. It's about receiving God's righteousness. It's about being brought into God's family. It's about trusting in Jesus for your forever. And if you're in that kind of relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you can trust in the covenant keeping God for your security. You're like that city that you can look out and you can see the army surrounding you, but you can know that God's not going to let the city fall because God's in it. The Bible says those who have Christ have the Spirit of God living in them. And just like this city, if God lives in you, you're not going to be shaken by any enemy. He's going to be faithful, not because you're good. He's going to be faithful so that he can protect his name. He will protect his covenant people. So we trust in God, not because we're good, not because we're super special or super spiritual. We trust in God because we have a relationship with God and God never forsakes his own. Never. Last point. Trust in God's sovereign power. Let's look at 8 through 11. It comes pretty fast. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and, and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, God says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verses 8 through 9, the psalmist calls us to think about what God has already done. Behold, he says, what does behold mean? Consider. I mean, it's an ancient Hebrew. Looky! Check it out! Watch! Behold! Look at this! Look at the works of the Lord! He has wrought desolations! He has used his power to leave things desolate, broken down, crushed when he wanted to. He has used his power to stop wars, and he did it anywhere he wanted. He has broken bows. He has broken spears. He has destroyed chariots. He has rendered useless the implements of war. How has God done it? How? Just read the Old Testament and think about it. God used his power in so many ways to win battles or stop battles. I mean, what did God do to Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea? 
Yeah, he swallowed them right up, didn't he? Okay. What did God do? Gideon killed the Midianites. What tool did God use for Gideon to wipe out 135,000 with 300? What was the main tool? The trumpets, yes, but why did the trumpet work? Why were they so stinking scared? Because they were having bad dreams. God used bad dreams to defeat a 135,000 person army with 300 people who blew a trumpet. Are you impressed? God has stopped armies by making them hear sounds that weren't really there and making them be afraid. God has confused enemy armies so that they have fight against each other instead of Israel, which, by the way, is bad military tactics to fight your own folks. God wants... Think about what God did for Joshua one day when Joshua was afraid it was going to get dark before he could finish mopping up. What did he do? He made the sun stop moving in the sky. God has crushed enemy armies with hailstones from heaven. Now, there were 185,000 Assyrians once camped outside of the city. What did God do with them? One angel wiped out 185,000 soldiers. God has broken spears and bows whenever it suited his purpose. And the psalmist mentions this, and he wants you to see it too, so that you can see the power of the sovereign hand of God at work. In the past, God has shown his power. He's able to save. Now look at verse 10, because the voice of God comes out in the scriptures here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now what that verse means depends on who hears it. If it's the enemy army hearing this, ver this voice, what's God telling them? Yeah. Have any of you seen a translation that translates that phrase instead of be still, cease striving? Stop fighting, you idiots! Okay, I added it, you idiots. That's, that's more NIV. Uh, <laughs> stop fighting! And know that I'm God. You can't beat me, God says. You can't stand against him. God is going to be exalted over the nations. Matthew Henry said it this way. Let his enemies be still and threaten no more. But know it to their terror that he is God, one infinitely above them, and that will certainly be too hard for them. Let them rage no more, for it is all in vain. He that sits in heaven laughs at them. And in spite of all their impotent malice against his name and honor, he will be exalted among the heathen, among the heathen, and not merely among his own people. He will be exalted in the earth, and not merely in the church. Let the world stop its attacks, because God will reign. He will be exalted over all the earth. But then, if you're the people of God, this verse still applies to you too. Be still. Don't try to fight your own battle. Stop clamoring in fear. Rest and know God. Don't just know about Him. Know Him. Relate to Him. As you get to know Him, you will be able to trust in Him. You can rest in Him as your stronghold because you truly know that the Lord is God. And you can know 
God's name is going to be exalted over all the earth. How do you know this is true? Because God said so. And God's in charge. He will make sure that his name is exalted over all the nations, over all the people groups. Because you see, God has a passion for his name. And God has a passion for his glory. And God will not let his name be mocked by peoples forever. He will reach down into the hearts of men and he will take for himself a nation of believers from all peoples. Spurgeon wrote, Reader, the prospects of missions are bright, bright as the promises of God. Let no man's heart fail him. The solemn declarations of this verse must be fulfilled. I will be exalted in the earth among all people. Whatever may have been their wickedness or their degradation, either by terror or by love, God will subdue all hearts to himself. The whole round earth shall yet reflect the light of his majesty. All the more, because of the sin and obstinacy and pride of man, shall God be glorified when grace reigns unto eternal life in all corners of the world. Then in verse 11, it's an exact copy of verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The Lord of hosts is with us. He's mighty. He's strong. He's a great warrior. He's a God of Jacob. He's faithful to his covenant, faithful to his people, faithful to his own name. And that Selah tells you to stop and think about it. So stop and think again. God has shown us his ability to defeat any army ever assembled by men. So don't worry. Stop striving in your own strength. Be it a physical or a spiritual struggle, stop and rest in your God, your great stronghold, your ever-present help in times of trouble. Trust Him. He will be exalted. He is sovereign. Nobody can stand against Him. And so we can rest in Him. So what's the overall point? God is our refuge and strength. He's worthy of true trust. He will be faithful, and we can trust Him in any trial. We trust Him because He's faithful to His own covenant. He's faithful to His name. He's faithful to His people. We trust Him because He's sovereign and mighty and powerful. We trust Him because He lives in us if we're His children. Spurgeon said this, following that, that illustration in verses 4 or 5 of, of a city that has a river running through it and God's present and the people don't get scared because there's campfires of the enemies out there. No matter how hard they break against the walls, we're not scared of them. Spurgeon says this, How can she be moved unless her enemies move her Lord also? His presence renders all hope of capturing and demolishing the city utterly ridiculous. The Lord is in the vessel and she cannot therefore be wrecked. So let me ask you, is Christ present with you? Is Christ present in you? Is God's Holy Spirit living in you? And God is going to take care of you. So cease striving. Be still. Stop worrying. Stop stressing over life. And know that He is God. He is strong. He is faithful. He's sovereign. Take comfort in Him and let Him bring sweet, soul-satisfying refreshment to your soul. Let's pray together.